Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, Legion of Audience. This is James. And before we get started today, I wanted to take a second and let you all know about the brand new Who Would Win Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and get behind-the-scenes access like you've never seen before, go to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow right now. Who would win patrons will have access to outtake videos, early info on battles, and even get a vote on characters that we'll use in upcoming episodes. So if you'd like to support me and the show, head to patreon.com slash whowouldwinshow, and for as little as five bucks a month, you can define yourself as more than just a fan. You'll be an official member of the Legion. Hope to see you there. The air in the arena is silent and still. No life has seen this Colosseum in many years. That is what makes this the perfect place for the duel of both the aged and the ages. With staff in hand, Gandalf eyes over his opponent, confident that he will be proven to be the greatest wizard in history today. On the other side, Dumbledore strokes his beard and gingerly flutters the Elder Wand, trying to perceive any advantage. Sunlight reaches the center of the arena, and that marks the beginning of this one fight to rule them all. It's Glamdring versus the Elder Wand. It's Oleron versus Albus. It's Gandalf versus Dumbledore. Today on Who Would Win? And welcome to another episode of Who Would Win, a show that completely ignores anything important happening in the world and instead focuses on a fictional battle between two characters from the worlds of comic, sci-fi, and fantasy. I'm your host, James Gavsey, and as always, I'm joined by the one and only Ray Stekanis. Look, it's our fourth matchup in Showdown September, where we go over a battle that has been debated and dissected countless times in the world of geek culture, and then we give it the who would win treatment, because why not? In one corner for today's battle, you have Dumbledore, arguably the greatest wizard from the world of Harry Potter, versus Gandalf, uh, arguably the greatest wizard from the Lord of the Rings universe as well. As usual, I did the patent who would win Google test just how many billions of times this matchup has been discussed. And, you know, this battle, all I'm going to say is this matchup has been debated so strongly, so passionately over the past 15 years or so that's now become most likely the tipping point that will cause World War III. Mark my words. Ray, what are your thoughts on today's matchup? As far as Showdown September matchups go, Gandalf versus Dumbledore is like it's top five all-time most discussed matchups in, in history of versus battles, you know? I'm sure there are some other ones that rank very high. Goku versus Superman, obviously. Dark Side versus Thanos. That probably ranks Robocop versus Terminator. But in the middle of all of these, the one that comes back again and again, Gandalf versus Dumbledore. They made an epic rap battle of history in like season one about it. That's how you know this thing goes back a long ways. And it has been most eagerly talked about for now going on two generations. 
It's crazy how much our fan base loves these showdown September, you know, cult classic, not so much cult classic, but obvious versus battles. And when we do them now, speaking of our fan base, the Legion of Audience is absolutely amazing. You guys are fantastic. I can't say enough about how great all of you are. I'm sure Ray agrees. And our social media community. Mid best. Yeah. Okay. There you go. <laughs> our social media communities are always growing, whether it's on Instagram, Twitter, slash X, whatever it's called now. And it's especially growing on Facebook, of all places. And our Hoover and Facebook group is almost at 20,000 members, which is pretty incredible. And we'd like to specifically reward our Facebook fan base by offering our brand new, wait for it, our Super Fan of the Week contest. Check this out. Here's the deal. Every Sunday, we're going to announce on Facebook this week's Super Fan, who's going to receive a $25 Amazon gift card. And to qualify, all you got to do is be an active member of the Who Would Win Facebook group, listen and subscribe to the Who Would Win podcast because, you know, it's awesome. Like and comment on the Facebook group's post either on Wednesday when we drop the episode or on Thursday's post where we openly talk about the episode. And here's the most important thing. You have to share either Wednesday or Thursday's post with your friends and network on Facebook because that's how we'll grow the Facebook group and the Who Would Win podcast itself, which, again, are two amazing things. That's all you got to do, win the $25 Amazon gift card just for doing what you're pretty much already doing with in the Hoodman Facebook group, Facebook group now. So let's just try this out for a few weeks, see how it goes. I anticipate this is going to go great. Ray, how great is the Who Would Win uh, fan base, the Legion of Audience? Look, first I'll say, you say in Facebook of all places, like it's not the number one social media site in the entire world. Of course, facebook.com slash Who Would Win show is blowing up. Of course, I have to deal with thousands of people trying to join the group every single day and I reject most of them because they look like they're worthless people. I'll say it out loud. I want you to have value. And you know the way that you're going to have value is by doing the things that James is talking about right now. It's one thing to have a group full of people arguing night and day and night and day and night and day about some of these matchups. It's another thing to support the show. Obviously, we want both. And this is an easy way to support the show. And what the heck, you could get something for yourself along the way for something that costs nothing. Just do it. What are we even talking about? That's what I'm talking about. It's important to reward the fans. And speaking of rewarding the fans, it's time to introduce our guest judge. Making their first appearance on the Who Would Win show, it's former game designer for Disney and Warner Brothers. It's a senior VP of interaction game design of Infinite Rabbit Holes. It's Michael Boris. Michael, welcome to Who Would Win. Thank you very much for having me. I'm so excited. I love watching you guys and listening to you guys do your thing. It's amazing. amazing. And now you're here. Now, Michael, before we talk about, you know, the episode itself, uh, tell the Legion of Audience what you're doing, and what you've been up to. We've been building a, an augmented reality experience that brings Gotham City to your home that you can actually step into. So imagine a room escape that all of your friends and family can participate in that has a eight to 10 hour soundtrack that just goes on and on and so much content. I'm so proud of it, but I'm, I'm happier to be here actually than even talking about my own game. Well, we're going to talk about the episode for a second, but I wanted to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and reveal to the Legion of audience, how you and I uh, first met and how I first became enamored with uh, infinite rabbit holes and the game you're doing and, and all that kind of good stuff. So this was, we're going back to this past year's Comic-Con and I got an opportunity to check out the game and uh, you guys weren't at the convention itself. You did something even better. You rented a house and had people come in and you walk in and you're offered food and drinks. You made very, very comfortable. You know how to put on a demo, by the way. And then you're like, oh, and this is a Batman based game. Harley Quinn's doing what have you. And 
And then that's where things kind of got a little weird between us just for a second, where you said this game is, you know, something along the lines of you're a Batman fan. This is unlike anything you've ever seen before. And I said, really? Okay, because if it isn't, I'm going to tell you it's not. I don't know if you recall that very, very specific uh, moment between us. I recall that. And it was the first moment that we met. It was a little bit uncomfortable, but we had some confidence (laughs) that special. Uh, it was well-founded confidence because what I saw, the, the augmented reality was absolutely fantastic, the way it was placed in within the game. And what I realized very quickly is that you can use your entire apartment, condo, house, living area to, to, to play the game. And the possibilities were just absolutely endless. And you did something so cool. You actually offered us a free copy of the game, which blew my mind. But I had to turn it down. Which blew my mind even more, but you said, this is so good that I have to buy it. I need to support you guys in a very, very special way. And you're the only person in the world that I've ever heard do that, even when they love a thing. So thank you for that. That was very, very surprising. I want more people to take a lesson from this. And when you love something, especially you go to Comic-Con or you see a creator or what have you, support them. And if they, if you hit it off with them, like, oh, here, take this. Don't necessarily take it for free. Buy it. Support them even more by, I don't know, buying the thing. So we sent it to Ray Sicanus. Ray's going to be playing it. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. Ray, you got the box so far. What are your first impressions of the game? Look, I'm well aware of the Infinite Rabbit Holes, uh, Arkham City, Batman game. I'd seen it on Facebook ads a whole lot, and I kept thinking to myself, I would enjoy doing that. So James reaches out to me out of the blue and says, hey, Ray, are you aware of this thing? I'm like, yes. He says, I'm going to send it to you. I say, great. I took it home, I've unwrapped it, I opened up the top of the box, and there was a big thing that essentially told me, unless you're actually playing, stop opening the box right now. And I said, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. And I put the box back down, I need to find that crazy, immutable thing that I like to refer to as time, and that as soon as I find it, I will be playing it, I'll put pictures online, you can find it on my Threads account, of course, and let's make it happen. Ray, I, I, I appreciate that. And James, too. I have to say that, you know, it's imag- ex-imagineers, imagineers who created your favorite rides that you've been on as a child, uh, movie writers, uh, all the greatest music from uh, the Batman games that you've played. It's all wrapped up into this nine-pound baby that we've created. And uh, I'm excited about your excitement. Thank you. Excellent. So, Michael, tell the Leisure of Audience, our fan base, where they can get the game. If you go to shop at infiniterabbitholes.com, you will be able to buy the game. But if you go to Amazon and search for it there right now, because it is uh, Batman week, it's 30% off. How about that? Do that. Heck yes. All right. So there you heard it. Legion of Audience, our fan base, get 30% off by buying the Arkham Asylum Files game on Amazon and get 30% off. That is absolutely incredible. Trust me, this thing is unlike anything you've ever seen before. The AR is fantastic. The gameplay is fantastic. I've been saying this forever. There should just be a really cool unboxing video of all the stuff and all the cool stuff that you get from this game. Now, with that being said, Michael, you've got a massive responsibility for today's episode. It's Showdown September. These are two of the biggest names games and geek culture and we're putting them head to head i almost don't envy you but i kind of envy you to make this decision it's gonna be really cool with all that being said ray please do us the honors and announce today's matchup representing the lord of the rings the wizard who would make a terrible instructor at hogwarts since he would tell all of his students on day one that they shall not pass gandalf And representing the wizarding world of Harry Potter, the wizard who makes a better Dumbledore than a Dumble window, 
Dumbledore. Tumble window <laughs> is. I'm going to leave it at that. All right, well done, Ray. Now, before we go any further, let's go over the official rules of a who would win match. Rule number one, each debater will make three points. Rule number two, the who would win match is a random encounter in a neutral location with no prior knowledge of the opponent or time to prepare for the fight. Rule number three, the debater must stay within the confines of the character's personality and the exact version of that character has to be specifically stated. Ray, I've been wondering all week, what version of Dumbledore will you be using today? Last time I went with the novel book version of Harry Potter's Dumbledore, and you know what they say, if you go novel, you're gonna end up groveling. So I'm gonna go with the movie version this time because I lost last time with Dumbledore. You won last time with Gandalf. That makes this an ultimate redemption match for Dumbledore on top of everything else. I should add that Dumbledore was robbed of that battle, of course. I'm going with the movie version of Dumbledore. Interesting, interesting. Okay, there's there you have it. That's an interesting choice. Kind of throws me a little bit, to be quite honest. I'm going to be using the movie version as well of it. Gandalf, and there's actually a very specific reason why, which I'll mention my point number Because three. you can't read. We already know the answer. I am trying to learn a letter every day to put words together. Words are hard, Ray. I've said this many times. All right, I rule know. number four. I know. De it's, it's a thing. Debaters may only use examples of skills, powers, or weapons that are a long-established part of the character's continuity. Feats from non-canon crossovers are allowed, but we give less weight. Rule number five, the winner of the debate is whoever the judge decides. It's the best case for defeating their opponent by death, submission, or battlefield removal, and where no attack or threat can be made for at least two minutes, and where no outside interference is allowed. And finally, rule number six, the judge is the final arbiter and can disallow or veto any point they feel violates these rules or established logic. And before we get started, don't forget to leave the Who Would Win show a five-star rating and a fantastic written review wherever you download and listen to podcasts. Need to supercharge your hiring? You need a super hiring partner. You need Indeed. I've been a fan of Indeed.com for a long time and been singing their praises for even longer. You know, one of the things I love about Indeed is that not only can you find a great job on Indeed.com, start there, great place to look, but if you're hiring, you can invite candidates, right? Candidates you invite to apply are three times more likely to apply for your job than candidates who just kind of see it in a random search. That's according to US Indeed data. It's like you invite somebody and they feel welcome to your party, right? They're more likely to want to work for you or at least check out what this job's all about. And we'll get you one step closer to that hire by immediately matching you with quality candidates with Indeed. Indeed's gonna do the hard work for you. It shows you the candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your description immediately after you post. You're going to find the people. They're going to put them right in front of you so you can hire even faster. And these are quality candidates. These are people who already meet your minimum expectations right off the top at the beginning. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash WWW. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash WWW. Indeed.com slash WWW. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And now let's get to the tail of the tape for both of our combatants. Ray, please give us the details for Dumbledore. Dumbledore is a master wizard and headmaster for Hogwarts Wizarding School. He first appeared in the novel Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone in 1997 and was unfortunately created by J.K. Rowling. Albus Dumbledore is the mentor to the title character of the book and movie series, that character being Harry Potter. He bears the burden of knowing most everything about the world of the Potterverse and often sees himself in the middle of everything, trying to influence events towards the lighter side and in favor of the good guys, using whatever means he can come up with. Now, being a master wizard, Dumbledore has access to all forms of magic and magical items, and despite his outward age, he is still a force to be reckoned with in a wizard battle. A fun fact, nothing overly fancy this week. I looked into where the name Dumbledore came from, and it turns out that it's from Middle English. You know, Old English. Seems appropriate. Dumbledore directly translates to B. Yes, that's right, B, like the stingy thing. And his first name, Albus, just means white. So in this battle, I expect him to float like a butterfly and sting like a Dumbledore. And that is Dumbledore. Wow. I really thought there'd be more behind that name. Uh, me too, quite honestly, when I started looking it up. But you got to go where the where the truth takes you, James. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Now, here are the details for Gandalf. Gandalf is a fictional character in J.R.R. Tolkien's legendary and primarily appearing in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings series. Created by Tolkien, Gandalf made his first literary appearance in The Hobbit, published in 1937. In the cinematic adaptations, Gandalf was first portrayed by Sir Ian McKellen, Peter Jackson's The Lord of the Rings film trilogy, which debuted with The Fellowship of the Ring in 2001. McKellen reprised role in the Hobbit film series, also directed by Peter Jackson. Gandalf is a Maya, a deity-like being who takes on a human form to guide and assist the peoples of Middle-earth in their struggles against the Dark Lord Sauron. Known as Gandalf the Grey initially, he is a member of the Istari, a group of wizards sent by the Valar, who are higher-order divine beings, to help in the fight against evil. He is wise, compassionate, and has a deep understanding of both human and non-human natures. His character serves as a moral compass in the series, guiding other characters through ethical and strategic dilemmas. He is not just a wizard, but also a mentor, a strategist, and even a warrior when the need arises. His multifaceted character has made him one of the most enduring and beloved figures in all of fantasy literature and film. And here's an interesting fact about Gandalf. Did you know that Sir Ian McKellen was not the first actor considered for the role? Everyone knows that. Do they? Who do you think was the first actor? It was, of course, our beloved Scotsman and James Bond, Sean Connery, who we figured out lost literal billions of dollars based on the contract that they offered him. But James, fill in the details. That would be incorrect. Not the part where he lost out on the role in billions of dollars, but he wasn't the first choice. The first actor considered for the role of Gandalf was none other than David Bowie. Yeah, that's true. Yes, however, casting director- I learned something today, and that's rare. 
That is where casting director Amy Hubbard revealed that although direct, director Peter Jackson was vying for Bowie to join the crew as Gandalf, David Bowie couldn't make it work with the large time commitment required. In addition to David Bowie, actors such as Sean Connery, Tom Baker, my personal favorite actor to play the Doctor in Doctor Who, Christopher Plummer, and even Patrick Stewart were also in the running to play Gandalf. But of course, the movie gods jumped in and made sure that the person born to play this role, Sir Ian McKellen, got it. And now you have the facts on both opponents. Michael, do you have any questions before we get started? I've got no question. You're, you're not making this thing up about David Bowie, right? This is no, the- according, this is, this is an official thing. The casting director was like, hey, David Bowie would be perfect for this. By the way, I don't think they're, they're wrong. I think he would have been really, really good. It I still been think a uh, Sir Ian McKellen was the right choice. It would have been a strange thing, right? We would have compared it to that, I think. Yeah. I, the thing is, and the, the contract that they offered Sean Connery involved a percentage of the box office and merchandising, if I remember right. So they did figure it out that he literally missed out on a billion dollars if he would have said yes to that deal. And he marked it at the end of his life as one of the ultimate regrets oh, that he turned it down, if I remember right, to make Legion of Extraordinary Jet League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That's right. Um, he did. That is that is a mistake. <laughs> Look, you know what? Will Smith turned down, um, you know, Neo from The Matrix, but that, w- but he recovered from it. That was, you know, somewhat early in his career, early-ish in his movie career. At least with Sean Connery, this was a huge mistake at the end of his career. Imagine Fair if he enough. made this mistake you when know, he was like twenty-five. Can I right? add fun fact number two here? Is that when Charles Harris uh, died? Charles Harris is that is it? Richard Harris. That's there we go. The original Dumbledore actor who was, you know, mid at best. Uh, after oh, wow. two seasons, he uh, he passed away, and they offered it to Michael Gambon, who is a vastly superior Dumbledore. That's not a popular internet opinion, but it is the truth. Go where the truth leads you. You know who they offered the role to before they offered it to Michael Gambon? Sir Ian McKellen. Oh, my god! They gosh. offered Gandalf the role of Dumbledore, and he said, I'm, I already played a wizard. What are you talking about? Why would I do that? <laughs> and I'm so happy he said no, because it would confuse everybody in the Gandalf versus Dumbledore worlds, if the same dude played both, that would suck. And yet, and yet, you have to ponder what if. I do. I think he could have done it really well, although I'm happy with how it turned now out. Now I want to live in a world where David Bowie played Gandalf and Ian McKellen played Dumbledore. I want to live in that world 24-7. And there you have it. Ray and I agree. But guess what? We're going to disagree a lot on this battle. So with all that being said, Ray, go ahead and hit us with your point number one. Point number one for Dumbledore. Let's talk about some of his offensive magic because you don't win a battle with defense alone. That's how you could wait one out and survive and hope someone helps you. But in a who would win battle, this is a one-on-one encounter. Nobody's coming to help. There's no fellowship coming at any point. So offensive spells. Let's first off just say, Dumbledore is the only wizard that Lord Voldemort was actually afraid of. The one guy, the one wizard. Now, there are great wizards all over the planet. Voldemort, ultimate evil, did not want that heat of Dumbledore. He was trying to avoid him at all times, and there's a reason for that. Dumbledore is known as the greatest duelist in the world of Harry Potter. If you go 1v1 with Dumbledore, it's pretty much a well-known fact that you're going to lose. He's too good with his defensive spells and too good at counterattacking with his offensive spells. Essentially, Dumbledore knows every spell that has ever existed. He's that good. 
He knows what you're going to throw, or at least when you throw it, he understands it. He knows the counter and can produce it quickly and then pounds you with his own offensive magic when you're spent. That's important to know in this battle specifically. That's why Voldemort don't want that heat because he knows if he goes 1v1 at Baron Pit with, with, uh, with Dumbledore, he's not going to win. Let's talk about some of those spells and why they're important. My favorite one, and I put it first, the Slug Vomiting Charm. He can actually cast a spell on you that makes you stop what you're doing and barf giant banana slugs. I would just argue that hinders your ability to cast magic on your own when you're gagging and you're throwing up giant slugs. But let's talk about the more offensive ones. The disarm spell, right? He casts the disarm spell usually as his first attack always. And that means he's going to fling a magic wand from your hand. Or in the case of Gandalf, he hits you with the disarm spell within about three seconds of this battle starting. And his sword and his staff are flung. He can't cling to those magical artifacts to cast his own spells because Dumbledore is just going to be too fast and disarm him too quickly. He also will cast fire spells. He has a fire spell that's so powerful. It's known as a great cataclysm that will literally burn while it's underwater. Normally you'd throw water at fire. Not here. It's so powerful. It burns underwater and will crush you. Dumbledore can also fly with minimal effort. If I recall, Gandalf needed some eagles to help him out. And if one of us can fly without effort and the other needs eagles that aren't coming, I'm going to say the flying guy has a strong advantage. Some other spells. Petrificus Totalis is a binding spell. It causes the, his opponent to stop moving entirely. You want to talk about incapacitation for two minutes? There we go. There's also Expulso and Confringo. And those are explosion spells. Expulso is the regular explosion spell. Confringo is the massively cataclysmic explosion spell. If I could blow up the dirt that Gandalf is standing on, I got a pretty good chance here. Defindo is a severing spell, usually used for items. Fantastic. Let's cut up the staff. Let's cut up his robe. Let's make naked Gandalf run around. He's not going to want any part of this. Sectum Sempra. That's a cutting spell that can be used on people. Harry Potter used it on Draco Malfoy, and it could have killed him if somebody else didn't come in. Lots of blood. This is a Friday the 13th Jason Voorhees spell that creates cuts upon cuts and buckets of blood. Reducto. That's a spell that will like shrink someone, but really it crushes them. It crushes them into ash piles if you cast it on them. And last but not least, of course, a master of the dark arts moment. I think Dumbledore would go there if pushed far enough. The killing spell. I'll just leave it at that. That's my point number one. Wow, lots to push back on there. Actually, not a whole lot to push back. Uh, not more much, kind of no. compared. You know, first of all, yeah, Dumbledore does have a reputation. Gandalf does as well, which is really interesting because he's been around for quite some time in the Middle Earth realm, and uh, his badassery is very well known uh, with known amongst many, many people, both good and evil. Dumbledore, he's got a lot of uh, endurance, especially for someone who's 115 years old. I know he's physically much better than a typical 115-year-old would be. But compared to Gandalf's physicals and endurance, which I'll outline later, 
they're not even close, and that's unfortunately kind of a, a big fact in this. Uh, Gandalf's also great at detecting and countering spells and magic. It's something he does. You know, buckets of blood might be something that's absolutely disgusting, and oh my gosh, you know, that's so crazy in Harry Potter. That's kind of like a regular thing in war-torn battlefield-specific, you know, Lord of the Rings territory. It's, unfortunately, that's just a fact. Uh, and, you know, this is a great battle because both characters have a lot in common, but they have a lot that's different. Now, let's go to something that's more common uh, in point number one. As I mentioned earlier, Gandalf may be indeed, for my point number one, Gandalf may be indeed the most powerful wizard to exist ever within the Lord of the Rings universe. And here's a small list of his magical abilities. He's got the power of illumination. It's a spell which produces a light from Gandalf's staff. It allows him to see in dark places. By the way, Gandalf doesn't always need his staff. He doesn't need a staff for most of the stuff he can do. He has it, and he likes to channel stuff, but he doesn't need it to you know perform his magic. He's got the power of this blinding light. It's an enhanced version of illumination. This allows Gandalf to strike his foes with a blast of light resembling a magnified sunbeam. It doesn't do a lot of damage, but it blinds his enemies very, very quickly. That's a fun thing. He's got this commanding voice. Voice. And again, you notice that Gandalf doesn't actually say a spell to get a commanding voice. Or it's just something he can do because that's what he does. And Gandalf with his commanding voice, he can control most people with it, as he did with Saruman the White, another insanely powerful wizard in this realm. He's got magical telekinesis. Now, this allows Gandalf to telekinetically push back his foes with his staff. Uh, he can do it without his staff as well. And even it's even powerful enough to disarm his enemies in the process. Remember, this is a skilled warrior who knows disarm so well that he can actually do it with telekinesis. That's pretty crazy. Uh, he can summon lightning bolts from the sky. He can also channel lightning through objects, because why not? He's got the power of healing to an extent. You know, he can chant a healing spell. That's one thing he will do. Uh, he did that to Thor and Oakenshield after he'd fallen unconscious from his fight with Azog, and then he later healed him. Uh, he did that with Thrain's mind after he was driven into mindness. And suppose he can use this on himself to an extent as well. I wouldn't say he's got like a regeneration power of healing, but he can definitely heal himself if he, if he does get hurt. He's got the light of the Valar, and Gandalf can cast a lightning bolt a projectile, you know, just through him at his enemies. And the spell can be upgraded to light enemies ablaze when they get hit with it. That's a fun thing. And it can be upgraded again, so it becomes like a beam of light that passes through enemies or whoever he's facing. And when they pass through them, the light sets them on fire as it passes through them. That's kind of like what happened at the end of Indiana Jones, the first movie. Fun stuff. He's got the power of telepathy. He can read people's minds. He can access their memories. He can even control people's minds and make them complete tasks against their own will, like he once did with Gimli. That was fun. Uh, Gandalf can produce a magical flame of varying colors. Now, here's the cool thing. And we saw them use this in The Hobbit. He can The hotter the flame, the different the color change. You know, I think it went from uh, anywhere from from 327 degrees Celsius to 1600 degrees Celsius. You got your flame underwater. That's awesome. I'll put that up against a 1600 degrees Celsius fire any day. Also, Gandalf can summon and communicate with animals. We saw this when he whispered to a gray moth and told it to contact I hope I pronounce this properly, Gwahir, the Lord of the Eagles. And when he does this, the Gwahir also summons a band of large eagles to help Gandalf in his fight. That's fun. He can call in Shadowfax, and this is through a special connection they have somehow. Gandalf calls Shadowfax. Shadowfax is the Lord of all horses who allows Gandalf to ride him like a horse. That's pretty crazy. The Lord of Horses doesn't like to be ridden by 
people. It's like, no, Gandalf, you can ride me like a horse. I'm the Lord of Horses. That's how cool this is. Here's a fun one. Gandalf has the shield of the Astari. So this is just a force field he can put around him. It's absolutely transparent. It's strong enough to hold off Sauron and Durin Bane's attack. That's the massive Balrog. This thing's insanely powerful. He's got a destructive blast. I love this one. This is easily one of Gandalf's most powerful spells. This is where he raises staff in the air, slams it down on the ground to cause a massive shockwave. Gandalf has control over the overall effects of the spell. He's able to produce any effect from destroying a stone bridge to knocking back an entire legion of orcs, destroying them in the process. Uh, you know, he's got regular telekinesis on top of magical telekinesis. I was I had to double check this, but it's actually technically correct. And this is something he can use almost like the force in Star Wars to push people away, hold them in place, push them back. I, I guess telekinesis can be magical or biological. I don't know. He's also got foresight. And this is where Gandalf can foresee all the events in the Lord of the Rings, including the importance of hobbits and golems importance in the feet of Sauron, etc., etc. This means he's quite likely to see Dumbledore's actions, how he's going to attack, what he's going to do. He's going to be able to predict all of this the moment the fight starts. And finally, the one magical ability I really like that will be a huge factor in this fight is the fact that Gandalf can create counter spells where he can counter any magical spell to negate its effects. Look, as great as Dumbledore is, Gandalf really does have the edge in overall powerful magic. And that's my point number one. Oh, wow. Gandalf figured out that Lord Sauron was bad? Well, sign him up for the 4D chess club today. Big if true, that Sauron fellow with the horrible Urukai army trying to take over the land is bad. I'm glad Gandalf got to the bottom of that eventually. And you talk about your explosion spells and whatnot. I remember when he used it against a Balrog and it killed both of them. Remember... Balrogs don't fly, even despite the fact they have those wings, I guess. Gandalf can't either. So if he destroys the space where they're standing, only one of them won't be affected, and it's Dumbledore. And you talk about heal spells. I have seen legitimately Dumbledore casting heal spells. Uh, you mentioned him casting heal spells, Gandalf, on other people. I don't remember a single time he healed himself in the movies that you are referring to. I would love an example of that that you will never give me. And, oh, fire spells, lightning spells, blinding spells, explosion spells. What of this hasn't Dumbledore seen 10,000 times before and beaten already? Nothing you have mentioned in Gandalf's arsenal is anything Dumbledore isn't ready for and anything Dumbledore will be beaten by. Interesting, because both that, that exact argument can be said about you-know-who as well. All right. We don't talk about NFL Super Pro in that way, though, sir. We don't talk about NFL Super Pro, period. All right, listen, we've heard points, one from both Ray and myself. Michael Boris, after hearing all of this from Ray and myself, where's your head at so far with this battle? All right, I've heard some great arguments here, and some of them actually gave me shivers. And that is generally how I know content is good. So from both sides, it's good. But I'll just say, Ray... You had a super slow start with that Dumbledore, Dumbledore name thing being just a B. That was weird. But you flipped the script with your description of, the Vol uh, of Voldemort's fear of Dumbledore's of offense and defense, and then capped it off by focusing on his power of light. But James, you were unfazed. You brought out the color-changing flames of insane temperatures, force fields, connections with the Balrog, telekinesis, mind reading, and Middle-Earth force. You know, I know at the end of the day, there can only be one winner. I'm excited, but I, I, I don't know which one is winning right now. I've got the shivers right now. You can see them. I've got the shivers. 
Michael Boris, this is why I knew you'd be a great judge for the Who Would Win show. You see everything from all these cool angles. Uh, you're, you're a huge fan of both you know, stories and both characters. I love this. We're so far at a dead heat, which is typically what happens after point number one. So with that being said, Ray, let's see what you got for your point number two. Point number two, you know, I talked about offense last time. Let's talk about some defense now. Because again, there is nothing Gandalf is going to possibly throw at Dumbledore that he hasn't beaten and he doesn't already have built-in answers for. You talked about the ability to go into people's minds. Well, there are mental defenses that Dumbledore has. Otherwise, Voldemort would have cleaned his clock pretty quickly. It's called uh, Occlumency, and there is literally a name for it, and that's putting up a psychic shield around yourself to stop anyone from probing your mind. The reverse of that is Legilimency, which is his ability to probe the minds and emotions of others and find out exactly what makes them tick, what they're afraid of, what they don't want to see happen, and how you can use them. That's how Dumbledore works. He understands the people he's around, he knows the way that he can manipulate them, and he does it over and over and over again. And to even add in another spell, the Obliviate spell, which not only controls a mind, it empties it. It removes memories. It removes thoughts. It could potentially make Gandalf forget why he's there entirely. If he can pull it off, this is how the one guy was able to go around in the Harry Potter world, steal everybody's magic, and then make them forget that they even had that magic in the first place. Dumbledore has access to all that. Why wouldn't he? But other defensive spells, because I agree, there's a lot of offense that could come, but where why he wins these duels and why nobody wants a piece of Dumbledore is that he counterattacks. He knows what you're going to do and figures it out very quickly, has a quick defense, and then nails you. Some of those defensive spells, um, Impedimenta, which is a slow spell. I think of the Final Fantasy slow spell that they cast out there. It only lasts for about 10 seconds, but it makes you move at a fraction of the speed that you would otherwise go. And if you're going to be casting spells, every second counts. So if I can slow down Gandalf with Dumbledore for 10 seconds, he's getting blasted to oblivion before those 10 seconds go, and he's not going to have a chance to defend himself. If Gandalf needs to speak to cast any of these spells, well, there's a counter spell called Langlock that sticks his enemy's tongue to the roof of his mouth. So he can't speak. He can't cast spells verbally. Important. He also has one of my favorites, the Dangling Jinx, which is a common dual spell in Harry Potter where you cast it at their ankles and you dangle them upside down like they got grabbed by one of those uh, rope traps that hang from a tree. There's also a counter to that spell that he knows and has ready to go that if somebody tries to do that to him, he just flips the script back on them as well. Uh, Protego is a shield spell. This is a very powerful shield, better than many force fields you'd find in other fiction. This is a shield that blocked Lord Voldemort's shadow attack. This is a shield that if you remember in the movies when Voldemort threw all that glass uh, at Dumbledore, he threw one of those up and it turned it to dust around him and made it so he could not be hurt by that offensive magic. If it's going to take a physical form, that shield will protect Dumbledore over and over and over again. Also, I mentioned the ability to speak your spells. Dumbledore can cast wordless magic. Usually you need a wand. You need to say it out loud. That's how it works in this universe. Dumbledore is so powerful. He don't need either. He doesn't need to say it doesn't need a wand. 
It helps that he has the Elder Wand, which is the most powerful. We'll get into it later. It's the most powerful wand in the entire Harry Potter world. Don't worry about that. But he also has his own healing magic as well. And this stuff actually will work on himself. That's Renervate and Enervate. Now, at first I thought Renervate was a spell that got Jeremy Renner along your side to fight as Hawkeye uh, on your behalf. It turns out that's not true. Don't worry about that. Those two spells are opposites, but sometimes the same. It depends. It's some sloppy writing is all I'm trying to say. The final thing to mention is that one time he filled all of London with a thick fog that you couldn't see through. Gandalf loves his light spells, but what does light get crushed by? Fog. We've all driven and we know it's true. If the fog is thick enough, no light spells going to permeate it. And you also can't drive more than two feet in front of you at a time. The point in all of this is that Gandalf don't have the defensive ability that Dumbledore has, meaning that he is at a strong disadvantage in any duel. And we're talking about a duel. And that's my point. Number two. Interesting stuff, Ray. Okay, first of all, let me clarify something with the Balrog because that was an impressive creature that uh, you know Gandalf fought. You remember, Balrog is a divine creature. They're uh, they're fallen Maiar. That's the same species that Gandalf is part of as well. Uh, kind of think of like a fallen angel, and that's a demonic version that Balrog they, they, that he fought. And this is something with insane magical power and physical power. This is not just like a big, huge creature. This is actually something quite, quite significant on par with Gandalf. So just putting that in perspective. Uh, Gandalf, by the way, doesn't get mind-controlled uh, at all. Like, I think there's a, quite an equal type of mind uh, protection that's going on for both these characters with a slight edge to Gandalf just because he's lived way, way longer. He's had more experience with it. And finally, casting spells uh, causes physical exertion on Dumbledore, you know, which is totally understandable. This is something, you know, he doesn't have limitless endurance. The more spells he's doing at the more intense rate, the more tired he's going to become. And that's going to be a huge factor in this. I'll explain why my point number two. And finally, wordless spells, yeah, a, a lot. In fact, most of what Gandalf the Grey can do is wordless. He does have some spells he needs to speak, but I think on that way, they're kind of even as well. Now, let me get to my point number two. And for my point number two, let's talk about the weapons, the physical abilities, and a little more magic of Gandalf. Now, let's talk about his physical abilities first. He's got enhanced strength. Look, he's shown to be stronger than the average man by far. Being able to grapple a Balrog is... Gandalf the Grey, and a Balrog, again, forget about the mystical supernatural power, it's the size of King Kong from Kong Skull Island, not the you know kaiju-sized one, but still insanely big, and he's physically grappling with it. That is crazy powerful. He's got enhanced speed. It's listed as something that where he can move faster than most men. He's fast enough to pass through an enemy flanks without being touched. He's so fast, he can easily dodge attacks, swords, arrows shot at him, and we see him you know when he's through his enemies, they have a really high level of difficulty hitting him with anything. It's kind of crazy. This is a big one. Gandalf has enhanced durability. As Gandalf the Grey, he was capable of taking extended punishment from that Balrog and only stopped fighting after 10 days of intense nonstop battle. That's 10 days of punishment from a King Kong-sized creature that's insanely powerful, which leads me to my next superhuman ability. He's got immense superhuman endurance. This is a big one. Again, He's, he's fought a Balrog for 10 days. It took 10 days of nonstop battle until finally he was able to stab through the Gandalf with his sword and take him out. Look, 
this if you say it's an evenly matched battle with Gandalf the Grey and Dumbledore, this is going to now favor the person who can last longer, and that's going to be Gandalf. He's also got a vast, vast intellect. Look, as a Maya, Gandalf, he's been learning from the greatest of teachers since the dawn of time. He's been in Middle Earth as Gandalf the Grey for about 2,000 years when we see him, but he's existed since before that. Uh, it's stated as counting of time as understood by mortals. This guy's old. He's an upper-tier level genius in many fields, and as a result, he also has vast wisdom. That's a thing that's listed in uh, Lord of the Rings. He's officially one of the wisest Maiar and acts as the mentor of whoever he's with at that time because of this wisdom and his experience. Look, Dumbledore's 150 years old. He can do crazy good things. He's seen a lot, done a lot. But again, when you put someone who's got thousands of years of experience of war, battles, fighting orc, what have you, always trying to fight to like survive. This is someone who's going to have the edge in that area. He's also got high charisma. He's extremely charismatic. Listen, there's nothing to say he's not going to convince Dumbledore to be like, hey, why are we fighting? Just join my side. Let's fight together. I'll teach you what I know because I obviously have information you don't have. Follow me. I'll give this information. He wins the fight. It's kind of a cool thing. Uh, he's got superhuman experience. I already listed that as well. He's bought different people. He's been in different dimensions. He understands all this kind of stuff. Listen, this is stuff he's seen. Gandalf has seen crazy stuff over 2,000 years as just his time on Middle Earth. Never mind the thousands of years before as a Maiar. That's just something way more than Dumbledore has. And if all that was enough, Gandalf is a master of fighting and combat. He's a master of whether he's got a weapon or not. He's most likely one of the greatest warriors his realm has ever seen because after over 2,000 years, he's seen and been, been through so many battles. He's learned to lie and experienced it and put it all to practical use. He's also a master of weaponry. He possesses the Elven Sword. Ray, you mentioned that. It's called Glamdring, also known as Foehammer. That's a cool name. And Gandalf wields this thing with one hand super easily. And Gandalf can channel lightning through Glamdring to enhance his striking power. And he did this against uh, Durin's Bane. That's the name of that massive Balrog he fought. He also carries that wizard staff Ray mentioned as well. And this acts as a conduit enhancer for many of his spells, and he's capable of wielding it at the same time as Glamdring the sword during battles, which makes him that crazy weapon smasher that's casting magic while slicing and dicing opponents. It's super powerful, this staff is, and he's used it to like destroy you know legions of opponents at a time. This is really cool. Look, when you put everything together, the fact that he can do ranged attacks, close up or far away with the staff or his other stuff, his vast years of experience, never mind the fact he's a badass warrior with enhanced superhuman physicals, yeah, on top of the magic he can do, this is definitely someone who is a, an absolute badass good luck to Dumbledore that's my point number two. Oh, stop now please Dumbledore you know despite his wizarding look uh, has kind of the body of like a 40 something year old athlete so we're not going to pretend like he can't hang physically with Gandalf now things I want to talk about right here Gandalf even as Gandalf the white is still bound by his physical form you like throwing around the term Maiar uh, as some sort of angelic creature and that is correct, but as you like to say, he's an avatar of a Maiar when he's here in Middle-earth. He is not uh, an angelic spirit. He is, at the end of the day, a human who can be stabbed just like anybody else. He can be hurt. He can be crushed. He can fall down a pit when fighting a Balrog. None of those things can be stopped despite what he could be, and his resurrection is going to take way too long to matter for this battle. And Dumbledore getting exhausted? Yes, you left out the part where Gandalf, because of the fact that he's bound by his human form, will get exhausted as well. Gandalf, it takes a lot out of him to cast these spells, and he will also get exhausted. That is a push, near as I can tell. And the last thing to mention, Gandalf. He's, he can get tricked. He got tricked by Soromon, didn't he? He got tricked by Soromon, 
uh, in that tower, and he got incapacitated for at least two minutes by Soromon when fighting in a wizard battle against him, didn't he? Gandalf was trapped for longer than two minutes, and if incapacitation is a way to win a who-would-win battle, and it is, that is a way Gandalf can easily lose with some of these spells I already talked about with Dumbledore. At the end of the day, Dumbledore's playing at least 5D chess. Gandalf can't even see that Soromon, Christopher Lee, Count Dooku, dude from that 70s horror movie, you can't tell he's a bad guy, Gandalf? This is over already. Interesting points. I I like that uh, montage you provided of us of uh, Christopher Lee's characters. That was awesome. He's great amazing. Human. Yeah, great human. Love that guy. Now, rest in peace, of course. All right, we're at the turning point. We're after hearing two points for Rain myself. Michael tells us who is ahead and what the other side has to do to win. But before we get to what Michael has to say, let's celebrate the Hoodwin Patron of the Week. Every week, we choose one of our amazing members of the Hoodwin Show's Patreon community and put them in a battle. Ray, which patron do we have today? Today. We have a very special patron. Uh, he is newer to the feed. We have Tom Cannell, ladies and gentlemen. Tom Cannell is here, and it's time for his day. Tom Cannell, your reputation precedes you, and I'm sorry about that because you do not have an easy task ahead of you. Let's have Tom Cannell go up against Crypto, Superman's dog. This is going to be tough. Now, Crypto, as we all know, what the powers of a Kryptonian dog, so... Superman level power, but Tom Cannell's not afraid. And this is the thing you have to understand. He represents the dog whisperer. Was it Cesar or something? He has the abilities of, of animal companionship. He has the abilities of animal husbandry. Just don't catch him at it. The thing I'm trying to say is that Tom knows dogs. So crypto, the super dog has to, you know, stop him from doing what he's doing. What does Tom Cannell have on him at all time? A steak. He has a raw steak that isn't gone bad yet. At his disposal, he pulls it out. He goes, here, boy, here, boy. And he throws it as far as he can. Crypto, now while he is fast, while he's a Superman-level character, Crypto takes his time when eating. So he throws the steak into a ditch. Crypto flies over, takes two minutes to eat the steak. Tom... You beat Crypto because you knew what to do. Congratulations. You won against Crypto the Superdog. Wow. So uh, Superman's training of Crypto, especially his training of making Crypto eat politely at a slow pace, not to get an upset yep. stomach, whatever, it actually yep. worked against Crypto. In this case, yes. Wow. That's incredible. Congratulations, Tom. That is a crazy good win. Remember, you too can become a celebrated patron of the week. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash who would win show and sign up and you may be featured in an upcoming episode of who would win. Now back to the turning point. Michael, you've had a moment to ponder two points from both Ray and myself. Who do you think is ahead and what does the other side have to do to pull out the victory? I'll tell you who's ahead right now, and I'll tell you why, if you like. I think that James is actually ahead. I think that Gandalf is ahead. And um, I flip-flopped a little bit. So, so Ray, you had me with Dumbledore's uh, psychic shield, his removable uh, memories that you can have from the people he's battling with. But then being excited about a shield that stops glass or a fog effect that stops light beams, I think they don't sound as powerful as some of the things I've heard about Gandalf. Now, James, you pivoted here and it worked. You didn't talk about power from the start. You didn't know. You talked about patience. You talked about endurance. You talked about a 10-day battle with the Balrog. And I assume that fog, no matter how great it is, after 10 days, it's gone. And then that light is going through. That's what I think. That's not even talking about the power, I think. And already the shivers are there. 
Look, it's not going to take 10 days for Dumbledore to defeat Gandalf. This thing will be over in 10 minutes at the most. Interesting. So how do you, okay, so you, you told us he said Gandalf is ahead slightly. What does Dumbledore have to do to pull out the victory, though? I mean, he's got to get impressive. He's got to do something that is uh, physical rather than mental, uh, rather than ethereal. How about that? Wow. He's got to create some damage here. That's what I think. Wow. Interesting. Okay. That's some interesting insight right there. Kind of foreboding a little bit. All right, Ray, you've heard what Michael has to say. Let's see what you got. What you've talked about, Ray, is defense. I want some offense. My entire first point was offense, but you do you. (laughs) How dare you insult the judge, Ray Stekanis. It's a thing. All right. Listening is hard. Oddly enough, I think there will be some offensive capabilities listed in point number three, because there's a little something we haven't heard about. I don't know if we'll see it or not. So, Ray, with that being said, hit us with your masterpiece of a point number three. Point number three for Dumbledore. Let's just bring this home, because I said before that Gandalf got tricked by Soromon, which is what happened. Somehow he sees this obviously evil wizard in front of him and let his guard down and got waylaid by Christopher Lee and absolutely destroyed. If that was a who would win battle, Soromon took him down. I said that Dumbledore plays 5D chess. It's actually like 10D chess, okay? Dumbledore seems to know everything that's happening in the entire world around him and how he can influence events to his preferred results, right? This is a guy who gave Hermione a time turner in what was that, like episode three? Uh, Because he knew that she'd need it at the end of the movie. This is a guy who foresaw events so far into the future. He goes, you're going to mess up so bad. You're going to need time travel to get out of it. Oh, does that also mean that he has access to time travel himself? Yes. Yes, it does. If something for whatever reason was to happen to him, he has access to a time turner that he could go back to the start of the battle using what he already knows and win. That's the point. And you talked about summoning Shadow Facts. That's great. Shadow Facts is a very impressive horse. It is a horse. What can Dumbledore summon? A phoenix. He can summon a literal flying, fire-breathing, return from the dead phoenix to fight with him or fly around on it if he wanted to. This is a guy who can go never-ending story with his phoenix, fly around, and take out whoever he wants to. Lest we forget they were trying to arrest Dumbledore at the end of the fifth movie. What did he do? He stopped time so he could get away against a character like Gandalf. He could stop time and wreck him physically because he could not move. This is how the Flash defeats everybody that he fights. So let's talk about some of the 1v1s that he's done in his universe. He has a 1v1 win over Voldemort. Voldemort, the second most powerful wizard. Some would argue maybe even the third, because the second most powerful wizard was probably Grindelwald, right? And he 1v1'd Grindelwald and defeated that guy as well. He took out Johnny Depp in a movie that was weird. And I think that needs to be mentioned at least once. He's also smart enough that he figured out Voldemort's entire Horcrux gambit figured out why he wasn't being able to kill that guy and found a way to kill him, destroying all of those objects. Did I mention that he also wields the Elder Wand? That's probably 
Very important. Gandalf has his staff and he has his sword. If you think that him wielding a sword is going to matter in this battle one iota, you are an insane person. You belong in an asylum. I would even say Arkham Asylum, a box that I have sitting right over here I cannot wait to dive into. That being said, a one disarm spell sends that sword into another county. A second disarm spell sends his staff into another county. I'm sure you think Gandalf is just as good without his trinkets, but he is not. That's the entire point. If you remember these movies, the magic that Gandalf is spewing isn't necessarily that impressive. But the magic that Dumbledore is shooting out in 1v1 against people who want and are trying to kill him is overpowering. He takes these people out one after another. Meanwhile, Gandalf is running around with a sword stabbing orcs. We're talking about a power level, yes. And that level is so much higher for Dumbledore than it would ever be with Gandalf. And the last thing to talk about is his ability over transfiguration. This is a guy who can change form, can change appearance, and when merged with the ability to read minds, and I do believe Dumbledore is better than Gandalf at that by far, because he has defense against it. I haven't heard Gandalf having any of that. He could read in and maybe even turn himself into a Frodo, turn himself into Bilbo Baggins on the battlefield, change his physical appearance, because Gandalf has shown he can be tricked. Dumbledore is very sharp. Dumbledore sees all the angles. Dumbledore is playing 10D chess. Gandalf is staring at the thing in front of him and trying to beat it. Dumbledore is trying to revolution. And I think that's the biggest deal in a 1v1 battle. Dumbledore is going to be able to reach into the mind of Gandalf, see what makes him tick, hide for a second, turn himself into whatever Gandalf doesn't want to fight. And then he's going to blast him into nothingness afterwards if he feels like that's what he needs to do. That is a direct, clear, and obvious way that Gandalf has fallen prey to in the past, hasn't he? And that's a way that Dumbledore could easily win this battle. And that's my point number three. Interesting stuff. There's some truth in what you said, Ray, but you know, when I look at it, Dumbledore, again, I love Dumbledore, by the way, I hate doing this, but Dumbledore was also fooled by Mundungus Fletcher, if I'm pronouncing it properly, he was fooled by Grindelwald, as you mentioned. Uh, he was even fooled by Tom Riddle before he became Voldemort, you know, thinking, oh, Tom Riddle, yeah, I can do this, change and whatever. And uh, I guess he pulled Nobi wan didn't see that coming, and all of a sudden you've got your Darth Vader of the series and Voldemort. You know, the other thing is, too, Dumbledore is insanely smart. He really is. And if you give him enough time, he's going to come up with some great plans and play that 4D chess. Again, if he's given enough time and if he knows the playing field, the battlefield, and all the people involved with it. That's not this situation, though. On top of that, uh, you know, Gandalf can also change form and appearance. It was said that he was walking amongst the elves as one of them, and they couldn't tell the difference between him and anyone else, such to a point where they really thought Gandalf was an elf all along, and he wasn't. And then finally, the wand, the, the elven wand that Dumbledore has, which is absolutely impressive. Again, it's a wand. It's something he needs to use to uh, channel his power for a lot of the really cool spells and powerful spells he can do. I'm not talking about the wordless ones, but that's kind of a thing they need as a way to channel this through, an object to channel it through, and that could be his downfall. Let me explain why. So my point number three, let's talk about it. You know I had to go there. I'm going to talk about Gandalf the White. Now, the Lord of the Rings universe has beings with, in my opinion, a slightly higher, I don't know how you'd call it, maybe a higher ceiling of power than those in the Harry Potter universe. And keep in mind, these higher beings have the ability to shape the world, its destiny, something that even the most powerful characters in the Harry Potter series 
can't do, at least can't do as much. And when Gandalf turns into Gandalf the White, he's now part of this upper echelon of power and represents the strongest magical power and authority within the realm by far. And that's amongst other very powerful magical users. Now, let me explain. So when Gandalf the Great died, he returns to the timeless halls of Eru, which sounds like a really good album from the 70s. And it's a magical place where Eru, who's the creator god of Middle-earth, is there. And it seems that while there, his physical body was dead for 19 days, but his divine essence was with Eru for tens of thousands of years, where he gained more knowledge on magic and became way, way, way more powerful and is now divine in nature somehow. It's kind of crazy. So as a result, Gandalf the White is so much more powerful than Gandalf the Great. Here's some examples. When Theoden was possessed by Saruman, Gandalf the White easily took away the spell of possession, just did it without anything, and it was so powerful it actually left a cut that was bleeding on Saruman's face, who was at a time in a completely different location. When Theoden was possessed by Saruman, Gandalf the White just took away the spell of possession super easy, and he did it so powerfully that it actually left a cut that was bleeding on Saruman's face, who was at the time in a completely different physical location, nowhere near uh, Gandalf the White. It was cool. And then when Saruman launches a spell in this direct encounter in form of a massive and powerful ball of flame, magical ball of flame, Gandalf from the top, of, you know, from the, and he launched it from the top of the tower, Return of the King. Gandalf makes it disappear simply by looking at it. That's how powerful he is. Then Gandalf states that Saruman's staff is broken, with which the staff immediately breaks apart violently in Saruman's hands. While all this is happening, Gandalf is also absorbing and stripping Saruman of his magical power. That's fun. See, the difference between these two is that Gandalf the White's powers and abilities, they're not flashy. They're less defined because that's what J.R.R. Tolkien said. He wants this to be that Gandalf the White controls the elements of the universe now. It's kind of like Neo when he finally understands the Matrix. He's not just strong within the Matrix and can use cool stuff. With it. He now controls the Matrix. That's what Gandalf the White can do. See, he doesn't need to define his powers by using spells or incantations. At this point, even magical items don't mean that much to him. Gandalf's magic is so powerful and can access huge amounts of magical force. At this point, he can pretty much will anything he wants to happen without the need to focus them through any means or even think too hard about it because it's now, again, I don't know how this word works, but it's divine in nature. Uh, Dumbledore's overall magical abilities. Look, this guy's powerful. I love watching him. He's actually my favorite part of the Harry Potter series. And again, super powerful powerful, but all this stuff, it's still kind of defined and limited within a framework of human magic in the wizarding world, whether it's spells that he has to recite, even things he has to think about, or, you know, those powerful wands, that's all stuff he has to focus his magical abilities through to great effects, no doubt. But now, Gandalf the White's at a point, like where Neo is with the Matrix, where he can just make stuff happen, I'm talking about the first and second Matrix, uh, you know, that now he can just control the elements that make up magic and magical abilities. That's how powerful this guy is. And by the way, one last thing, Gandalf is going to kill you if he feels it's necessary when it comes to killing by using the abracadabra or spells or maybe even just using some other, the other two unforgivable curses or whatever they're called. Dumbledore literally can't which gives him an automatic handicap in this fight because he won't use the crazy tools he has at his disposal. It's not something he can do. It's not something that you're allowed to do without very dire consequences within the Harry Potter world or universe. That limitation doesn't exist for Gandalf the Grey. Never mind Gandalf the White, who's now, for lack of a better term, the Jesus of the Lord of the Rings. Pretty crazy. Look, the way I look at it, Gandalf the White is who Dumbledore could become after thousands of years of really fun but hard work. That's why Dumbledore loses. That's why Gandalf wins. That's my point number three. You actually sit here and want to try to convince a judge that Dumbledore would underestimate Gandalf. The guy with the beard, the hat, the staff, the sword, and the robe who's throwing off magical auras right and left. 
Did he underestimate Tom Riddle? I don't even know that he did. I remember that scene where like the what the cabinet set fire and he's like, oh, <laughs> this isn't good. Uh, I don't think he would underestimate him at all. And you talk about the dire qu- consequences for using the, uh, the, 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 the death spells, etc. I leaned away from it, but I think if Dumbledore felt it was ultimately necessary, he'd do it. He's not afraid of dire consequences. Remember, he invented a machination where he himself had to die in order to win the day. So I don't think he's afraid of any consequences. And you talk about Gandalf the White as if he's just this uh, Jesus, this magical being. Why didn't he just walk up to Sauron and beat him if he's so powerful? Oh, that's right. Because there are supreme limitations on the power set by who? Gandalf himself. Gandalf came back down as Gandalf the White and intentionally put a limiter on his own powers. You know who doesn't have a limiter as to how far he can go? Dumbledore. He goes as far as he feels he needs to. Gandalf intentionally refuses to go there. That's why he needs everybody else in Middle Earth to work for him to beat Sauron because he's not as powerful as you seem to imply that he is. The biggest way I think this wins is psychologically. Gandalf has one giant weakness. If he thinks the battle is won, he will drop his sword and lower his guard. He's done it over and over and over again in these battles. And if, let's face it, 10D chess Dumbledore, with the ability to read Gandalf's mind, see what he's all about, is able to convince somehow by playing a little bit of rope-a-dope, convince Gandalf that he has won the battle, Gandalf will shed his belongings, literally, because he does that, and Gandalf will leave himself open to a time freeze and an explosion of the face, dropping him if Dumbledore thought it's necessary, and he does, because I said it. Dumbledore would feign weakness, much like Soromon did, and then hit him with strength that he wasn't expecting like it, and we already know that that would work. That's why Dumbledore is the actual winner of this battle. Interesting points. I got to tell you, this has been a really, really fun battle with a lot of back and forth. But, you know, it's about that time. Michael, you've heard three points from both Ray and myself. It's time for you to make a decision. Take us through your process. Tell us the story, if you will, and reveal who you think wins this battle between Dumbledore and Gandalf. All right. You guys did a great job, both of you. But, Ray, with your Chapter 3 Dumbledore attack, you did something spectacular here. You created a theme within a theme without knowing it. Maybe you did. I'm not sure. The theme is that Dumbledore holds back information, abilities until he needs to unleash heck. Can I say heck? The time turner. He gave Hermione something spectacular and impossible, but only when she needed it. They never even knew that this thing existed for the most part. Now, this implies that he's holding back, right? The phoenix that you talked about as well, that goes with this theme too, right? That doesn't come up until it's time. Necromancy, the guy can control dead things. That's amazing and bring them back when he wants it. That's power. That's power. It's Penn Gillette that says, if on your resume, you don't say the things that what you've done, you're bringing an M16 to the meeting. And that's exactly what he's doing. Now, <laughs> James, Gandalf the White, holy smokes, the ultimate upgrade, right? It's an upgrade of nearly an all-powerful being. Upon his death, the creator god of Middle-earth himself chooses Gandalf above all others to infuse him with divine essence, making him essentially a god like him. He scars the unscarable. 
he strips the very tool that it took. Right? That makes sense, right? He's taking that from Sarma. That's a big deal. Gandalf the White isn't about magical objects. No. As you explained, he is living, breathing divine power. His godlike abilities are unbeatable by controlling the elements. And so I think for those reasons, as great as your theme was, uh, it's got to be Gandalf for sure. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Listen, I didn't even realize how great Dumbledore was. I knew he was great. I just didn't, I had no clue until Ray Stacanus brought all of these points up, and I got quite nervous. And that last point number three I had was kind of like all I had. It was either going to be work or not. You can't sleep on someone like Dumbledore. He's absolutely fantastic. And, and eventually, if you give enough time to Dumbledore, he's going to increase his power if he comes back to life ever, which I hope he does. And he will be absolutely a match for Gandalf the White eventually but right now i think ugh, he's the best of what he does within his world gandalf the white kind of controls his world and that's what makes the difference race to canis great job on your debate today you did justice by a uh, dumbledore with your with your debating style tell the legion of audience our fan base how you feel i first off i want to tell our judge right now did ray intentionally leave those landmines in the road of course i did because not only does dumbledore play 10d chess but Ray on the Who Would Win show does as well. James barely plays checkers and yet somehow achieved a victory today despite getting lapped repeatedly by my insane and intense verbiage. My arguments were, quite frankly, too strong. I don't know how you possibly came to the decision that you came to. I can only assume it's because James at one point handed you money and I have not. And I can only assume at the end of the day, based on the arguments presented, that that was the deciding factor. I'm not trying to cast aspersions on your character. That was you doing it to yourself. That's fair. I think it's very fair. I'll take it. <laughs> you know, Ray, Ray has some strong opinions about, uh, as I've learned, everything. There's nothing he doesn't have a strong, that blade of grass that's over there. He's got strong opinions about it. You know how that you judge blade of grass isn't trying hard enough. That's, that's what I'm saying. You know, you, you got to love it. Listen, Michael Boris, for your first time ever as a judge on the who would win show, you absolutely nailed it. You took the arguments, you weighed them decisively, and you came up with a conclusion by weaving together this story that just was, again, I've said it once before in other episodes, but definitely with this one, I want to see exactly what you talked about in the decision in this battle between these two come to life in some live action extravaganza it's gotta happen sooner or later we hope michael boris great job please come back to the who would win show in the meantime tell the legion of audience our fan base where they can find you and where the best place is uh to buy the arkham asylum files uh, tabletop game uh the best uh place for our company to buy it is called shop at infinite rabbit holes.com the best place for you to buy it it's at Amazon. Just check it out. It's 30% uh, off right now because of Batman Day. Uh, please email me at michael at animalrepairshop.com if you want to talk to me. And go to Animal Repair Shop and take a look at our Mount Rushmore of amazing folks that have created this amazing thing. And where can they find you online in terms of social media? I'm the worst. But uh, you can check me out on, on Facebook. How about that? Fantastic. Check him out on Facebook. Check him out on Twitter. Uh, we'll make some posts where we actually tag him as well. Definitely reach out to Michael Boris, an insanely interesting and really cool guy. Race to Canis. You did a great job today. You won the first two for Showdown September. I won the last two. You got the overall number of wins, but I got momentum. It all comes down to next week to see who will be titled or get the title of uh, Showdown September King. In the meantime, tell the Legion of Audience, our fan base, where they can find you online. 
First off, I want to thank Michael for your one and only appearance on the Who Would Win show. Uh, unfortunately, um, I've talked to the board, and that decision has left everyone, uh, all the 5% Rainiacs, all of the hashtag awkward allies, um, are all despondent right now. Uh, unfortunately, great arguments. You tried to get me with the Penn Gillette reference, and I appreciate you for that, but it didn't work. I am furious right now. I don't know how I possibly lost this battle. I showed you. I showed the people at home. I showed America how Gandalf the White was limited in his angelic presence to a physical human form. I showed you three, nay, 22 different ways that Dumbledore would win this who would win battle specifically. And yet here we are at the end of the day talking once again about a decision that did not go Ray's way. And I use the third person because if I tried the first or second, it would be a little bit too painful for me to even consider. So now I have to take myself out of the equation and talk about myself as if I was not myself. And that is a terrible place for a human being to find themselves. You can find me on threads at Almighty Ray 316. You know that whatever the heck next week's battle is going to be, whatever the heck that this judge is going to be for week five, it better be somebody good. It better be somebody I respect. It better be somebody whose motives are not in conclusion. I don't care if it doesn't make sense. It made sense in my head when I said it. I have shivers again. I want next week to be the biggest episode in Who Would Win Show history, the episode that shows the world that I am better than James Gavsey because I've earned it over five seasons, and I'm going to earn it extra next week. James, you are on notice. You know, that whole description of yourself not feeling yourself, that remind me of Scott Steiner doing math that one time on Impact Wrestling, where it makes complete sense to him and everyone else is... Uh, kind of lost. All right, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by typing in at James Gads. You remember to join the official Who Would Win Facebook group to make a suggestion for a matchup for the show and be part of our growing community. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok at Who Would Win Show. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you go for your podcasts. On behalf of myself, Ray Stacanus, and the rest of the amazing Who Would Win production team, thank you once again for checking out another episode of Who Would Win. We'll see you next time. What's up, everyone? Brian here, host of the TV and Movie Trivia Podcast. It's a trivia-style podcast focusing on TV and movies. Listen in for questions like, what's the name of Michael Scott's screenplay? What do you say to view the Marauder's map? What are Tony Stark's last words to Thanos in Avengers Endgame? And where does Ron Burgundy say he is when he calls the news station sobbing from a phone booth? I've covered The Office, Harry Potter, Marvel, Will Ferrell movies, Lord of the Rings, and more, with even more on the way. So play along to the TV and Movie Trivia Podcast anywhere you get podcasts, and stay tuned for more trivia! Hey gang, I hope you enjoyed this episode and love listening to the show as much as we enjoyed making it. Quick reminder that you can support us by going to patreon.com slash show right now. Okay, got to prepare for next week's episode. Hope the rest of your day is full of wins. 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.